Okay. Well, good afternoon, everyone, and thank you for this opportunity to make oral submissions. We also have written submissions in all three languages, which I will give to the Commission. This submission by the Center for Policy Alternatives outlines our general views on the nature and form of a new constitutional settlement for Sri Lanka. It focuses on the major constitutional issues that are currently the subject of public debate and which featured in the democratic decision of the people of Sri Lanka in the two historic elections of 2015 in both changing the government and mandating the current parliament to enact a new constitution. We are prepared to submit more detailed explanations and proposals, orally or in writing, if so invited by your committee. Fundamental principles. The new constitution, we believe, must contain a coherent statement of the fundamental normative principles upon which it is founded, so that it provides a politically irreversible basis for a strong culture of constitutional government, multicultural citizenship, gender justice, and respect for the values of a plural democracy. If it is to build trust amongst Sri Lanka's plural communities, the new constitutional order must be aimed at providing all citizens a sense of ownership and therefore commitment to the new Sri Lankan state. In this context, the provisions concerning the foremost place of Buddhism and the unitary character of the state that have characterized both constitutions since 1972 are, in our view, inconsistent with the pluralist social foundations of the Sri Lankan state. Our society is and has historically been richly plural in terms of cultures, ethnicities, and religions. Whilst the Sinhalese and Buddhists have enjoyed a prominence in the history of our island, different minority groups with long histories within the island also seek different relationships with the state of which they are a part. For example, the Tamil people of the North and East seek a measure of territorial self-government, while Muslims and other minorities seek other forms of accommodation. Furthermore, all our communities seek to be recognized and appreciated as intrinsic to the political and cultural mosaic that is Sri Lanka. The main point and purpose of the constitutional state in a plural society is to ensure that it recognizes represents and accommodates all persons and groups that collectively constitute the polity and not merely the ethnic or other political majority. It follows that within the overarching framework of common Sri Lankan citizenship and nationhood, collective claims are treated on a basis of group differentiated rights and that it is possible to constitutionally recognize multiple conceptions of nationality within the rubric of a single and united Sri Lankan state. This ensures social justice, as well as the stability and security of the state without the need for coercion or oppression. Seen in this light, the Buddhism clause privileges the majority community and at least symbolically demotes other communities to a secondary status. Perhaps more importantly, the unitary state principle has stood in the way of providing a meaningful response 
to the tunnel claim to autonomy. Unhelpful debates about formalistic classifications as between unitary and federal are best avoided. But CPA firmly believes that the new constitution's normative and structural architecture must ensure extensive devolution and power sharing, unhampered by majoritarian principles such as a unitary state, while guaranteeing the unity and territorial integrity of a new form of democracy in the Sri Lankan state, within which pluralism and multi-level governance can flourish. It is also worth stressing that both pluralism and multi-level government are recognized as fundamental aspects of good governance in the contemporary world. We strongly recommend that the principles of republicanism, secularism, political pluralism, constitutional supremacy, the rule of law, the separation of powers, devolution and subsidiarity, and most importantly of all, human dignity be explicitly, explicitly recognized in the new constitution. An appropriate preamble that acknowledges Sri Lanka's societal pluralism, the injustices of the past, and the significance of the democratic renewal of 2015 would also be important. Both the preamble, enumeration, and elaboration of fundamental principles would constitute the basis for the new constitution to be interpreted coherently and fairly in operation. The executive. The people of Sri Lanka have clearly mandated the complete abolition of the executive presidential system of government in the 2015 elections. Civil society has long campaigned for this in view of the authoritarianism, maladministration and corruption that this institution has fostered ever since its introduction. While we are heartened by the recommitment to abolition expressed at the highest levels of the new government, we are alarmed by suggestions that a directly elected prime minister may replace the executive presidency. Such an arrangement would not only be extremely unusual, but also merely replicate the self-aggrandizement and authoritarianism that accompanies the direct election of an individual to the office of chief executive when what is needed is the collegiality that is the hallmark and main strength of a more orthodox form of parliamentary and cabinet government. We strongly urged the return to a fully-fledged Westminster model as was reflected in the independence constitution from 1947 to 70, which would ensure the constant political accountability of the executive to the legislature together with such other legal safeguards for constitutional rights, good government, pluralism, and devolution, as we will outline below. In such a system, we wish to see the restoration of parliament to a central place in national life as the main institution of representative democracy and accountability. CPA urges that the Commonwealth statement of best practice reflected in the Latimer House principles guides the design of the new constitution. We come now to the electoral system. The second major constitutional issue that featured in the 2015 elections was electoral reform, and in particular, and in particular the abolition of the open list system 
reflected in preferential voting. While designed to improve voter choice in the context of proportional representation, in practice, preferential voting has led to an unacceptable degree of hyper-competition, corruption, and violence. There has been a growing consensus within civil society that a mixed-member proportional system, an MMP system, which combines the virtues of the first-past-the-post while preserving the overarching principle of proportional representation, is vital to the proper democratic representation of a plural society. MMP systems ensure the close connection between the voter and the representative by providing for smaller territorial constituencies while ensuring the proportionality of legislative representation through party lists. We urge the adoption of such a system in the new constitution. The Bill of Rights. The current chapter on fundamental rights falls short on a number of counts in meeting general international standards as well as Sri Lanka's international obligations. Its enumeration of rights is incomplete. The scope and nature of the rights are expressed in terms that are narrower and more restrictive than those provided by international standards. And above all, the restriction framework allows incursions into rights that are both procedurally and substantively unacceptable. Paradoxically, the improvement effected by the 19th Amendment to the Constitution in 2015 in introducing the freedom of information as a fundamental right has also introduced an anomaly in the form of a restriction clause that applies only to itself, while the broader restriction clause remains operative for all other rights. In this context, CPA urges the formulation of a new constitutional bill of fundamental rights that fully meets and even exceeds the standards set under the 10 core human rights instruments recognized by the United Nations. We also urge unimpeded access to the relevant treaty body. All law, policy, practice, and conduct inconsistent with the Bill of Rights specifically and with the Constitution more broadly must be comprehensively subject to judicial review and effective public law remedies, including through the devolution of judicial power so that provincial high courts become the courts of first instance for fundamental rights applications. The new Bill of Rights must constitute the foundational basis for the civic conception of common Sri Lankan identity and citizenship that must underpin the new constitution. The Constitutional Court. While our experience with the Constitutional Court under the First Republican Constitution was not especially useful, in principle, such a court could be of immense significance in working and expounding the new constitution and especially the new Bill of Rights. CPA believes that such an apex court should be representative of Sri Lanka's societal and regional pluralism, including gender, be comprised in addition to judicial officers and academic lawyers of those with professional or academic distinction in relevant fields other than law, especially political scientists, and deal only with cases which involve significant questions 
of constitutional interpretation and principles. That is, not function as a regular court of final appeal. In short, the constitutional court would be the guardian of the fundamental principle of the supremacy of the Constitution. Devolution. Sri Lanka has another opportunity after a history of failure from pre-independence times to establish a constitutional framework of devolution and power sharing that is congruent with its social pluralism. Given the tragic history of ethnic relations, including the more than three decades of armed conflict, the difficulties involved in the present exercise cannot be overstated, although we are encouraged by the fact that the recent elections have overwhelmingly endorsed moderate parties, both in the North as well as in the South. At least notionally, this opens a space for a principled and deliberative process in which all communities' interests can be openly articulated for a new settlement to be negotiated from a perspective of mutual respect and understanding. In this regard, we stress the need for the North and East to be treated distinctively from other provinces in terms of devolution needs. And if that necessitates asymmetric arrangements, then we find that consistent with constitution making, contemporary constitution making, practice, as well as democracy and equality. We also note that addressing the over-centralization of political power and legal authority, a particularly baleful legacy of the colonial state, by a greater diffusion of power and authority, spatially and territorially, also serves the aim of democratizing the state. Democratic institutions, in turn, ensure political accountability and, in this way, economic development. The more power is centralized, the less a democratic state is. And this is a powerful rationale beyond the question of ethnic relations for the new constitution to reflect a radical devolution of power when seen against the needs of democratization and development in this country as well. CPA would like to see a new devolution settlement that meets the aspirations of the Tamil community of the North and East for self-government in consonance with the legitimate claims of all other minority groups, including that of the Muslims of the North and especially the East, while assuring to the Singhala Buddhist majority their rightful place in the history and ethos of the new Sri Lankan state. We are encouraged in this view by our understanding of pre-colonial history, in which the de devolutionary polities of the ancient Singhala Buddhist kingdoms gave rise to a hydraulic civilization of which we are all justly proud, but which also ensured a high degree of tolerance and respect for minorities consistent with the best spirit of the Theravada tradition. This included significant autonomy in practice for those territories outside of the immediate monarchist center. We recall that the centralized unitary state is not only a colonial creation, but also a very recent one, when seen against the devolutionary, asymmetric, and pluralist character of the historic South Asian tradition from which we can learn rich lessons as we address 
our contemporary challenges for unity in diversity. More specifically, we must learn the lessons of our largely unsatisfactory experience with devolution since the introduction of provincial councils by the 13th Amendment to the Constitution and related legislation in 1987. Public discussion about the 13th Amendment is often muddied by excessive nationalist rhetoric on both sides of the ethnic divide, as well as a lack of detailed knowledge about its strengths and weaknesses. A more informed and dispassionate approach to constitutional design is needed. And the overarching principle in this regard must be that devolution, not merely the transfer of decision-making powers to the provinces, so as to constitute a better balance between central and provincial institutions, but also that devolution of power is complemented by the devolution of responsibility and accountability. Such an approach of shared responsibility and accountability will serve to knit the provinces and center together. Thus, the division of competence, competences must be revisited with a view of enhancing provincial autonomy whilst protecting a coherent balance between central and provincial institutions as well as their effectiveness. The powers of the governor must be curtailed in favor of the elected provincial political executive. The fiscal and financial framework must be fundamentally redesigned to ensure that those who have the power to raise public finance must be democratically accountable while allowing for processes of fiscal equalization. The current competencies must be exercised consistently with subsidiarity and except in narrowly defined and exceptional circumstances, for example, the prevention of secession, and subject to requirements of accountability that executive powers in relation to even legislative competences retained by the center must be devolved. As is implicit in this last point, we argue for the retention of the concept of concurrency, although not for the current concurrent list. We argue for the retention of the concept of concurrency subject to safeguards for provincial autonomy as a necessary instrument of power sharing, an effective multi-level government in a modern democracy. Finally, CPA is firmly of the view not only that the new devolution settlement must remedy the design defects of the 13th Amendment, but also the scope and extent of devolution must qualitatively exceed what is currently offered by it. It follows that there can be no reduction of devolved powers, including in relation to policing and state land. The second chamber. Just as much as we would like to see substantial and meaningful devolution to the provinces, CPA strongly believes in the interdependence and unity of the Sri Lankan people 
and the Sri Lankan state. Accordingly, we believe that institutional mechanisms have to be built into the new constitution that will encourage cooperation between the constituent territorial elements of the state. While these range from procedures for intergovernmental relations to fiscal and financial solidarity, one of the most important institutions is a second chamber of the central legislature that would ensure a voice for provinces in the making of legislation affecting the whole country. Needless to say, a second chamber also serves other ends of democratic government by ensuring thought and deliberation in the legislative process, as well as the representation of expert knowledge that would not otherwise find articulation. CPA would urge the design of a second chamber that meets these requirements and believes that it should be comprised of a mix of members of exceptional caliber appointed by the Constitutional Council and members elected by the provincial legislatures. We are faced with the exciting prospect of enacting our third Republican Constitution in this year, 2016. A new constitution that reflects the values, norms, and principles outlined above would constitute a departure from the instrumentalism, executive convenience, and the intolerance that characterized the two previous Republican constitutions. Such a constitution would entrench our common democratic inheritance whilst fully reflecting our society's rich pluralism. Both these traditions are a source of strength and suggest a promising future for Sri Lankan democracy and development that must not yet again be mismanaged so that they become a source of weakness, institutional decay, ethnic antagonism, and debilitating conflict as so often in the past. We are aware that constitutional change is more often than not an evolutionary process and that the strongest liberal democracies have been built incrementally over time. Consequently, we do not expect the new constitution to be a panacea for all our constitutional and political travails, although it is hoped that principal leadership will ensure the best possible outcome within the constraints of the politically possible at this historic moment of our political development and constitutional evolution. We urge all political parties and leaders to exercise restraint, tolerance, understanding, and professionalism in the coming constitutional negotiations and in the deliberations of the Constitutional Assembly. And whilst legitimate democratic disagreement is inevitable, for them to constantly bear in mind the strong message of democratization delivered by the electorate, not once, but twice in 2015. Not everyone will get what they want, and constitutional negotiations are always a question of give and take. But if judicious attention is paid to both principle and pragmatism as we, undertaking, as we undertake the making of our third Republican constitution, then it has the potential to transform our culture, our culture, our politics of governance in a brave new direction. After decades of bad constitutionalism and worse politics, the people of Sri Lanka deserve nothing less. Thank you.
long discussion on that. We have very important points to raise, and today they are crowded. I don't think the environment is. So we. So we'd be perfectly happy to come back and. Submissions. And if in the meantime you need further elaboration, we are certainly more than willing to comply with. Uh, Well, I mean, as as far as I mean, as I outlined in this oral submission, I think there are some key areas which need to be addressed: the structure of the state, devolution, the electoral system, the Bill of Rights. I think those are four main areas that have to be addressed and need to be taken as a whole, which will come into yes, yeah, absolutely. Well, the demand in political terms and in historic terms, the demand for uh, devolution, for autonomy, has been traditionally from the north and east of this country. It has been from one particular community as well. And I think there are particular concerns that they have, which may well require that there are special powers that accrue to them and not to the rest, where that demand has never been made. I mean, we had the 13th Amendment generalized to the country at large, but as we all know, there was no popular political demand for devolution outside of the North and East. But there's a, even in this presentation, there's a, some expressions from other communities, especially the Muslims and the <coughs> Tamils. So how can you accommodate the asymmetric? Is it possible? Well, quite frankly, the limits of constitutional imagination are boundless at, at that level. The greater the devolution and the sharing of power, the better we believe for governance in general and for democracy in particular. So if there need to be, if the argument is made that there need to be particular arrangements in other provinces as well, I think they should be considered very seriously in the spirit of looking at what can be accommodated. I eke karan the bari provincial matter. I go on to Balak then the bari, I go on to Avashra Mudal Ganna. Anitratavalu make a bad Kurlatina. Kisi badavak ne, e ratege swadinatrit, ekabututavit, morakot, etanabadavak ne, haniak ne. 
අන්තිමට අපේ අරමුණ ප්‍රජාතන්ත්‍රවාදී යහපාලනයක් පිටවන්න මිනිස්සුට වගකීම දෙන්න වගකීමයි වගවීම දෙකම අවශ්‍ය personally personally I don't see any contradiction with the reduction of the members of Parliament and the requirements of a deliberative democracy at the same time if the number of members of Parliament was to be retained at 225 I still think that it is worth looking at the question of a second chamber because it helps in respect of the unity of the country of the idea that there must be power sharing both at the provincial level as well as at the center and I think the experience of second chambers around the world has shown that there are certain social issues for example which can be initiated discussion and even legislation from those second chambers which are beneficial to the country at large of course the financial powers will be retained by parliament no I'm not referring to it under the 1948 dispensation okay thank you